Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth and I write a personal finance blog here in New Zealand called, unsurprisingly, The Happy Saver. And in this podcast, I've sat down and I've had a pretty intense chat with a Kiwi about their money and no questions are off limits. But because New Zealand is a really small place, it's seriously more like a village and the people I seek out are often uncomfortable having their story told in public, you'll hear their stories from me and not directly from them so that they can retain their privacy. Plus, I could talk for an Olympic sport, uh, so by doing it this way, you get a greatly edited version of the conversations I've had. And I just chat to people, I learn their story, and I condense it down so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from fellow Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, their tips and point of view on personal finance in Aotearoa. So this week, I'm sharing the story of a woman that I'm calling Janet. And before we started our chat, Janet warned me that she, too, could talk for an Olympic sport. And given the Olympics were actually on when we sat down to chat, I was more than up for it. And she didn't disappoint, and I think you are going to enjoy what this 59-year-old wahini has to share. But before I charge on in, I've just got a quick message from Pocketsmith, today's sponsor. Having a side hustle or running a business can be profitable, rewarding, and take it from me, actually pretty fun. But if I don't keep up with the admin side of the Happy Saver, it can quickly get a bit out of control. So I use Pocketsmith to easily keep track of multiple income streams. Pocketsmith links to my side hustle bank account and keeps track of my fluctuating income and expenses. So at a glance, I can see if I'm running at a profit or a loss for the month and year, the invoices that have been paid, and I can calculate the tax I need to set aside. It helps me keep good records to monitor my business and it just takes me a few minutes a week to manage. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Janet and I crossed paths when she filled in my net worth questionnaire on my website. I'm always impressed with the responses I receive to this questionnaire, and there are well over 100 up on my website now, so go and check them out if you haven't already. Hers caught my attention because at that time she had just sneaked in with a net worth of $1,005,000. The bulk of it was in her house, which still had a small mortgage of $56,000 on it, but she also had just about $191,000 in investments. It was her straight-to-the-point comments about budgeting, not taking on debt, and being content, that really got my attention though, hence me wanting to learn more about her. This woman was a hard shot to talk with, and she is the fire, or aunt, I wish I had growing up, full of tips and tricks to get your money sorted. She said that there is nothing about budgeting that anyone can teach her now because she knows every single trick in the book. I didn't even try to challenge her on that point. Our conversation went everywhere, so I'll do my best to begin at the beginning. Born in the North Island into a biggish size whānau, things took a turn when her dad died in about 1969 when she was just seven years old. She remembers her mum telling her that there was just $2 in the bank when he died, so she more or less instantly went back to work as a nurse. There was a procession of babysitters to look after her and her siblings, or they simply just looked after each other. As a kid, she knew they were probably broke, and she recalls the day that a family came around and took away the oak dining table. Her mum had obviously sold it to make ends meet. They ate their dinner at a trestle table after that. She said she left home, or rather escaped from home, having been given no specific financial advice, and she went to the city to do a secretarial course, and if she recalls correctly, she got paid a little to attend these courses. 
She then got a job at a bank in their typing pool, moving on to do administration work at a regional council. From the get-go, she budgeted carefully, always making sure she paid her bills and paid the rent. She met her future husband and they went to Australia to follow his work for a time. She attended seven job interviews and got five offers, settling for a job at a bank. So from the beginning, her skills were always sought after. After a time, they returned to Aotearoa for his career and she was able to transfer within her bank and slot back in at home and she worked her way through various departments in her time there, always working in administration. It was an interesting history lesson for me because she said that at that time, women never got promotions to higher positions, always the men. It was also the time that if a woman wanted to take out a loan, she had to have a man sign up to do it. And she fully remembers the whole department turning to stare when a single woman came in wanting to borrow money. Thank God times have changed. She remembered a senior at the bank taking her aside and making her sign up for the company superannuation scheme. She said he was a bit of a crazy guy and he would not take no for an answer. So, of course, she did what she was told. She paid into her super and she also saved some money from each pay. I've actually heard of this tactic a number of times now from various people that a senior person would take the new young worker aside and say, hey, don't question me, just sign up to your retirement scheme, invest with every single paycheck and your future self is going to show you that you did the right thing. In her place of work today, Janet does exactly this to her colleagues because she knows from experience that it's the right thing to do and it works. Don't poke the bear at work, she says, because as soon as someone mentions KiwiSaver, she is off and she is happy to offer advice and she does the best she can to make sure all staff are in it. During her marriage, she took care of everything financial. He is not interested in money, which was no problem for Janet as she loves this stuff. And she made her husband sign up for a super scheme too, of course. For the two of them, she always saved up and had the money in the bank before she bought anything. When they'd saved up a $16,000 deposit, they bought their first house, a rundown average size fare, she said, which they purchased for $128,000. And they slowly did it up over time, never quite finishing all that needed to be done though. It was the mid-1980s and the interest rate was about 14%, think about that. And she just assumed that it would take forever to pay off because that was just how the system worked, or so she thought. But as is often the way, she received some timely information that was to change things for her. She was working in the lending department at her bank, typing away. As an aside, she said she remembers that everyone smoked and had an ashtray on their desk, even the tellers smoked while they were serving you. A very quiet and unassuming gentleman would come in once a month and she would often serve him. He would present a $1,000 cheque and say, I want to put that on my mortgage, please. And she would write him up a receipt and off he would go. She thought to herself, what is he up to? Why is he making extra mortgage payments? No one paid their mortgage off early, yet every month, on schedule, he would come in with a cheque for $1,000 and was shaving chunks at a time off his debt. And she thought to herself, my God, what a good idea. And it dawned on Janet that she could do this thing too. Now, to retain her privacy, I won't go into details of what they both did for work, but they were both on average to lower salary occupations. They had combined finances with both of their pays going into their bank from which she would budget everything. They each had a credit card, but they never went crazy. They never kept a balance and always paid cash for everything else they did and saving up in advance to pay cash for things like family holidays or dinners out. And they always paid extra on their mortgage too. And when it came off a fixed term, even if she could only put a couple of grand extra on it at that time, she did. 
before refixing it for a new term, which is generally between one to two years. She was lucky that during this time the interest rates were trending down and not up. Occasionally she would put some on a floating rate, but never very much because she didn't want to bite off more than she could chew. In about 2001, she left the bank, had a baby, and moved to another part of New Zealand as her husband got a different job. But in 2008, when she was about 46 years old and her daughter about seven, her marriage ended, meaning she was to enter into a whole other area of maths, sorting out a divorce. She's a very matter-of-fact woman, so I asked her how she went about it and what advice she might have for others. She said, get a lawyer and don't spend much time with them. In her case, she found a nice lawyer through a family connection, and then she made it her goal to spend as little time with them as possible, because they charge an arm and a leg. Her soon-to-be ex-husband immediately got his own lawyer and set about meeting with them regularly, and complaining about the cost. After about three months of hearing nothing from her own lawyer, she got in touch and asked, hey, should I or we be doing something here? As her ex-husband had been spending heaps of time with his own lawyer. Her lawyer said, nah, just let them do all the talking and writing up of what they want to do and when it's done, we'll work through it. So that's what they did and it cost her $1,500 all up. As part of the settlement, she ended up cashing in that work superannuation that her previous employer had thankfully forced her to join and this cleared the mortgage in full. It took 15 years to pay off. Despite the circumstances, she had achieved her goal. There was one other investment that she kept post-divorce. They had paid $13,000 to buy into forestry using a company called Forest Enterprises, and they both decided to keep that going. When we spoke, the trees were a couple of years away from felling and selling, and she estimated that at that time she might net around $50,000, and the same for him. While the divorce details were being worked on, Janet just sat back, deciding, and rightly so, not to spend a single cent until the money arrived in her bank account, and this is also the advice she would give to others. Just bide your time, wait until everything is settled, and then you know exactly how much you are working with. Finding herself single and with no superannuation but with a pot of cash, it was time to rebuild her life for herself and her daughter who lived with her and spent time with her dad too. When they first separated, she received $700 a fortnight in child support, dropping down to $500 later on. She said it seemed that the more he earned, the less her daughter received. To get herself back on her feet, she ended up staying with a friend while she looked for a housing solution. One of her sisters had a couple of rental properties. In fact, Janet had helped her scout out and find them over the years. There was one in particular, a small two-bedroom, 100-year-old cottage with sea views that when they'd looked at it a few years back, her daughter had walked in and said, this is the perfect house. So the sister purchased it and it had been rented out for a number of years. Janet asked her sister if she could buy it, once the current tenants were ready to move on. After six months of living with her friend, she did take possession, and in the summer they moved in. The house was worth $354,000, and Janet bought a one-third share of it, paying her sister $118,000. So there was no lending involved at this stage, and she had the rest of her $250,000 left over. They came to an arrangement where Janet paid the rates and the insurance and did some repairs on the property in lieu of rent. Janet kept about $30,000 set aside in the bank as an emergency fund. Although she had no clue about how to invest, she did start up a new retirement fund with AMP, seeding it with just $1,000, and beginning to make regular deductions from her administration job from there on in. 
She also invested about $50,000 with Gareth Morgan Investments, a company that more lately became Kiwi Wealth. Then there came another financial implosion within her family. One of her siblings had remained living with their mum his whole life. Her mum worked right up until her 80s, and although money was never ever discussed, it was simply not something you did. Janet was aware that the two of them used to dabble in shares and investments, including, as hindsight would tell them, a lot in the failed finance companies of the 2000s. To cut an intricate story rather short, there was a tipping point, at which time it was revealed that Janet's brother had literally spent all of their mother's money, including mortgaging the house, and was declaring bankruptcy himself. See you later. Janet, to put it mildly, was absolutely furious. The upshot was that her mum had no money, no house, and one would assume, no son. Janet and her siblings, the ones who were not thieving bastards that is, were pretty angry and upset, but they stepped up, moving mum in with one of them as a short-term measure while they worked out what to do. Janet said that her brain certainly works hard when there is a money problem to solve, and this was quite the problem. Because life throws you lemons from time to time, it also watches how you handle them, I think. Janet was handling them okay, so life threw a few more lemons at her. The company she was working in administration for announced a merger with another company. They didn't need two admin staff, and she would have to fight for her job, and there were a few colleagues in the exact same position. She thought about buying her mum a place, but dismissed it because it would put far too much financial pressure on herself, particularly given her work situation. So she came up with a plan. She said she was parked on the side of the road having just been to visit her mum in her temporary home and was thinking hard and then boom, it came to her. She needed to secure her own financial future first and that meant keeping her job and bringing as many of her old colleagues with her as she could. So she concentrated hard on making that happen, which it did. Next, as a temporary measure, they rented a small place in a lifestyle village that her mum could afford which kept her in her old community. Next, she approached her bank to borrow some money to buy another third of her house from her sister. And the banker said, we will happily lend you enough to buy her out entirely. Why don't you do that instead? So she pulled out all the money from her Gareth Morgan investments. It had not gone up, but nor had it gone down in that short space of time. And in 2013, she took on a mortgage of $170,000 and paid her sister out. Now she had her own home again, with a mortgage of course, meaning her sister, the one who invests in rental property, had enough money to buy the wee house her mum was renting and her mum paid rent to her sister. Janet now has regular contact with her mum and now looks after all of her mum's money, which was in a complete mess of course, with bills being paid twice or not at all, subscriptions to Reader's Digest, and she cashed up random share investments and bonus bonds. She got it all into working order and she can now afford to live off the government superannuation money she receives. She has helped her mum structure her money in such a way that if the brother ever does turn up, he can't steal from her again. And what became of her brother, I had to ask. Who knows? She's not seen him since. I asked if her mother, who was now in her late 90s, has ever said thank you. Because if Janet and her siblings had not come to her rescue, Goodness knows we should be, but she said no, Ruth. <laughs> she was born in the 1920s, and she was not of that ilk to hand out such platitudes. For Janet, she just finds it baffling that she and her siblings have good financial sense and have made good decisions, yet her mum took the advice of the sibling who clearly had none. She finds it odd that they listen to those with no interest in their welfare, but I suspect that those who work in the area of elder abuse would say that this is not an uncommon thing at all. 
Coming back to Janet again, she found herself in 2013 with a $170,000 mortgage and a small daughter with a lot of hobbies. Janet didn't want her to miss out on any opportunity like ballet or surf clubs, swimming or football, so she carefully budgeted for each because she said she's very good at accumulating pockets of money for different things, meaning that despite her low income, they always had a nice cosy home, delicious home-cooked meals and lots of hobbies to do and look forward to. She never bought anything that they didn't need and they paid cash for every single thing that was a necessity, saving up over the year for a family holiday or a car repair and many other things, meaning that her daughter never noticed any strain around money. She also paid into her workplace superannuation fund, which started out as a default fund, but in 2020, as she learned more about investing, she since switched it to a growth fund. It is with AMP and she has a current balance of $75,000. She also signed up for a Kiwi Wealth KiwiSaver fund, which you can do. You can have both, but the government will only pay into one. It's a growth fund where she directs 4% of her wages and it has a current balance of $50,000. She has also opened up an account with NZX company SmartShares and she is investing $50 a month into the S&P 500 fund. That has a current balance of $1,600. When her mortgage is paid off in two to three years' time, all of her efforts will go into investing in these three funds. Her mortgage when we spoke had a current balance of just $51,000 with an interest rate of 2.39%. She pays $600 each fortnight and it's up for renewal in January 2022, at which time she's looking to drop her repayments to $500 a fortnight because she has another expense on the horizon which she is budgeting for. She also had a $5,000 amount on a floating interest rate and she has the balance of that down to $2,000 now. It irritates her that it's not gone already, but she's doing the best she can on her single income. She makes $800 a week after tax, AMP and KiwiSaver contributions and she carefully budgets every single cent, which she absolutely loves. To her, it feels like a fun game, she said. In fact, when I asked her what her three main financial habits were or the things that she just automatically does, she said, number one, she loves writing down her income and expenses. She will even go to the extent of Googling the menu of the restaurant she is going to eat at to price up her meal. And if she gets there and the price is $1.50 different, it drives her nuts, she said. So this woman loves her numbers, that's for sure. Number two, she loves to budget that income down to the cent and she writes it down using pen and paper which she said is too hardcore for many. And number three, also she must save a portion of every single paycheck. And when it comes to spending, she thinks carefully about each purchase. She drives a 2013 car of a very reliable brand. And if any extra money ever comes her way, it goes straight to her mortgage. She has sinking funds where she is saving up for things like her rates bill. And for the one time a year, she buys a bulk load of firewood for the winter. As far as learning goes, she has been learning about investing and other stuff by the likes of the Mary Holm column on a Saturday morning in the New Zealand Herald. She likes YouTube interviews with JL Collins in them, and she likes some of the Choose FI content too, plus the Ramsey Show and, of course, this very podcast. And she borrows books from the library, obviously. Why would you buy when you can borrow for free, of course? She always kept an emergency fund up until recently when she decided to put it all on her mortgage to bring the balance down. However, she also watches Dave Ramsey on YouTube and as part of his seven baby steps, rule number one is to always have an emergency fund or, as he says, Murphy will come and bite you in the butt. You are more or less asking for trouble. She felt okay about what she'd done though because ever since her daughter was born, she had been setting money aside for her in investments 
And she felt that although she very much views that money as not being hers, even though she put it all in there, in a pinch, she could borrow money out of that and then just replenish it over time. But trouble came soon after, of course it did, when an appliance broke down. Instead of taking money from her daughter's investments, as was her plan, she put it on her interest-free credit card instead, something she hated to do. But when we spoke, she was just one paycheck away from having that paid off. With her credit card in normal times, she actually pre-loads it each week so it never goes into the red. And when she skims off the reward points each year, she gives these to her daughter in the form of petrol vouchers or department store vouchers. So this is the problem with investing your emergency fund, which is kind of what she has done. You are always loath to break the investment, so will turn to credit card or mortgage extension instead. In her case, she does have the discipline to pay it back, but many don't. So an emergency fund should always be cash sitting in a bank account, in my view. For her daughter, who is now 20 and studying, Janet was adamant that she would not take on debt to study and planning for this started very early in life, which it has to do if you want your kids to stay out of debt. She opened a bank account for her at birth and ever since she's put $20 a week in, or just whatever she could spare that week. It might have only been $5, but putting money into this account was priority for her. Janet saved all her coins and took them to the bank. Literally the week before we spoke, she had deposited $10 of 10 cent coins that she'd saved up. She opened up a KiwiSaver account for her. Just a little too late, she missed out on the $1,000 that the government used to offer, but she currently has $7,000 invested, and Janet tops her up each year if the contributions from her daughter's job have not been enough to get the government contribution of $521 now that she is over the age of 18. She's opened up a Hatch account for her too, and she invests $20 each week into a Vanguard US 500 fund. The current balance is $600. By the time she started uni, she had saved up $30,000, and given that the first year fees are free and that her dad paid her accommodation costs so far, she is on track to get through her three-year degree debt-free, which is awesome and such a great achievement for the whole family. In turn, her daughter actively contributes and works a job while she studies, and she sounds like a bit of a unicorn at uni with no student loan and cash flowing her way through by working a job that covers her living expenses while studying. Janet and her daughter regularly budget the academic year, and she helps her plan ahead for the personal stuff she wants to do, because Janet wants her out there and doing stuff and enjoying life. Here's the thing, they talk openly about money, a little and often with her daughter asking her about an upcoming expense like a weekend away with friends and how she might plan and budget for this. And this is the absolute key in my book because her daughter will never say, ah, we never spoke about money at home. Drawing on her own savings, money that Janet has set aside, income from her part-time job and money her dad contributes, they actively budget for the week ahead. And this includes $25 going into a sinking fund so that at the end of the year, she will have $1,000 at her disposal for having a good time with her friends. I think that Janet is clear on a lot of things, but one thing she is particularly clear on is that there are to be no student loans. They are just not an option, and she simply does not accept that you have to get them. But we parents have to plan for this years in advance by setting money aside, and when our kids are able to, they have to contribute as well. The first year of study is free. Her dad paid her rent. You know what it's likely to cost, so make your kids plan and pay for it too, is her advice. Janet fully admits that you have to be quite annoying to your tamariki, yep, even telling them what to do. 
but her daughter knows how her mum is and she knows that her systems work and all those packed school lunches instead of bought ones helped her mum save money so she could help her through university. I think that her daughter and mine should have a bit of a sit down in 10 years time and compare notes because I'm equally chatty about money at home, doing my best to financially prepare her with both money and knowledge to succeed. But it can be hard to do what your parents are saying when all of society is doing the opposite. If you are listening to this Janet's daughter, stick with it and come out debt free and I promise you that you won't regret it. Some people don't think parents should help their kids out financially at university and instead send them to the school of hard knocks so they can work it out for themselves and that giving them money will make them feel entitled and that they will just blow it like a lotto win. I completely disagree with this because if Janet's daughter, and my own for that matter, get to grow up seeing how this money was saved and invested, it won't appear like mana from heaven. They see the work that went into it. So once they are given the responsibility to handle it, you just have to trust that they would do it justice. I mentioned before that Janet is going to drop her mortgage payment from $600 a fortnight down to $500, the reason being that she will most likely be taking over the father's contribution towards their daughter's accommodation costs next year as, for whatever reason, he may not be able to pay. So she's setting herself up to take on these costs. And this is how you forward plan and budget. If it ends up not happening, then this money will go back on the mortgage, but it's better to be prepared. Janet spends just $70 a week on groceries, and when she ended up putting the new appliance on the credit card, it was this budget item that was cut even lower while she paid off this card. She figured that she had enough food in the house already, she knows how to cook, and she was fine with tightening her belt for a short while to get it paid off. Now this might sound quite severe, but I see her point here. She is on a single income, and if she lets the smaller expenses get away on her, then they will soon build up into a bigger problem. So it's much easier to pay attention to the small details now. So what does she consider her biggest financial triumph? Buying the house, paying it off as fast as she can, and being able to accumulate savings. And if she needs something done, she will find out what it costs and start saving, and by the time she needs it done, she has enough putia saved. And now she has cotton on to how to invest, she's poised to become debt-free within the next two to three years and start investing that $600 fortnightly payment hard for retirement. I asked if she had thought of selling her investments to clear the mortgage, and this is something she had considered. We talked about Dave Ramsey again here, because what he says is that you pay into your retirement accounts while paying off your mortgage as fast as possible. That way, when you become mortgage-free, you have already built up investments that you can then just turn your full attention to. If she were to drain her investment accounts, and remember she did that once before when her marriage ended, she would have to start all over again and runs the risk that many do in New Zealand of having all of your wealth in your whare. So she is sticking to her plan. She is paying very little in bank interest now anyway and will keep plugging away at her investments. I asked her if she would consider selling her home and buying something cheaper to release cash from it, but that was a firm no. The house is perfect and she will not be moving. And this is why I thought Janet was so worth talking to. She knows her house is worth a fortune now, about 1.1 million, which she called ridiculous. But it's a home, and that is the problem with escalating house prices in New Zealand. Whilst there is an industry where people buy houses to make money, it just forces up the price for those who only actually want a single home to live in, like Janet. So she worked out a while back that if she wants to stay put, She has to have wealth building up in investments that don't include her home. 
with current investments totaling about $191,000, which includes her forestry plantation, and her desire to continue working into her 70s because she absolutely loves what she does, she has had fun doing the calculations on the projected growth of her investments and how they will top up her superannuation when she reaches the age of 65 and continues to work. She is working now so that when she is a grandma one day, she can spend her time helping her daughter out just to help with the workload of being a parent and most likely working too. This is the planning that we all need to be doing unless we want to end up house rich, cash poor. And how about her greatest financial flop? Well, many years ago, she listened to a friend and invested $5,000 in some New Zealand oil and gas shares. Apparently, the place literally blew up, halving her investment. She sold them and put the remaining money on her mortgage and chalked it up to experience. Individual share investing is not for her. If you are not an expert in it, why invest because you don't know enough, she said. It is impossible to consistently pick individual shares over time, she said, and she worries about the investment app Sharesies and that people have not cottoned on to the idea that picking individual shares is dangerous because they're not spreading the risk as you do with a low-cost big index fund. And for people listening to this, particularly to those in their teens and early 20s, what advice would she give them, I asked. Well, start saving early and avoid debt like the plague and have an emergency fund. She was following the Dave Ramsey seven baby steps, but what he calls Davish and only following part of his plan. But you need to follow it 100% because she has tripped herself up with not having an emergency fund at the moment. He was right. What advice would she have for those preparing to divorce, I wondered. She said that it's so hard now for couples who separate given the cost of housing. She said, never give up your job, even if you have kids. You almost can't afford to, she said. Go all in on marriage and have kids, but you need to protect yourself and think of yourself as an individual too. Do well with your combined money as a couple so you can get half of something decent if it all turns to custard. She carries insurance, but just enough for her needs, with house insurance, car and contents, but the amount of the content cover is low, and every year she checks the value they have updated, and then she reduces it. She said that everything she has is old, and even if she had to, she wouldn't buy it again anyway. She said she has spent her whole life collecting shit, and now she is trying to get rid of it. She is super frugal now, simply because she does not want for anything. She cares for the planet too, and it certainly doesn't want her to buy more and she is just more or less extremely content. So as I near the end, before I finish up, I have a quick word from Pocketsmith, today's sponsor, who have designed their online budgeting software for all the rest of us who can't be bothered budgeting on paper as Janet does. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Over the years, Janet has worked out that other people can be unreliable. So she is better to plan for her own success instead of relying on others. She is a huge forward thinker. And when I think about a person's entire personal finances, I see it as a huge, slow moving ship where if you tweak one thing, it slightly alters the course in the years ahead. She spends a lot of time and thought thinking ahead and gently tweaking all aspects of her financial life to gently steer her waka where she wants it to go. She does not earn a lot, just $798 a week, but as she said to me, I guess it's what you do with it that matters, right? Too right it does. She knows her exact costs, and she pays cash for them. 
Then from her take-home pay at any one time, she is saving up for a number of things that she has coming up. Plus, she is supporting her daughter through university. Plus, although she didn't want me to share her details with all of New Zealand, for those that she does come into contact with, she is exceptionally willing to share what she has learned so that all those walking along beside her can also achieve the financial peace that she has. So thanks so much, Janet, for taking the time to talk to me. I loved our chat and I loved your willingness to share. And for those listening to this, if you are approached by someone someday who wants to offer you support and tips and tricks, you would be well-placed to actually stop and listen and not brush them away because hidden in plain sight all over Aotearoa are the Janets of the world who are just itching to be asked about budgeting. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another money journey of another Kiwi. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update your podcast app each time I release a new episode. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com. And if you feel the urge, leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast. And I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.